Uh, we're going to be going quite quickly, and, and because of that, once we get past the introduction, I'm going to throw up all of the fill-ins so we can just discuss about uh, the implications of what's really important. Psalm 5 is unique in the fact that it's, it's continuing to be what we call a morning psalm. It's a psalm that David is praying, David is discussing, David is talking with the Lord. And in it are some uh, unfiltered or unfettered or just amazing truths that maybe we neglect because we probably don't think of the gospel as something we carry or use on a daily basis. We tend to think, I have the gospel, I know the gospel, the good news has been given to me, I know what Jesus Christ has done for me, and I am so thankful for that, and now I'm living my life as a Christian. What does that mean? So, I, I, we're going to read this, um, and I just really simply want us to think about the gospel impact. David understood, I mean, think about what David's going through. David knew that it wasn't the sacrifices. He knew that it wasn't all the ritual things that mattered. It was his heart submitting to God. Actually offering his life to God. And he knew that it was different. A broken and contrite heart is what God desires. That's talking about a submissive Laying yourself down before the Lord. And he understood the gravity and the concept of the gospel. And I want us to really see that in this psalm. We're going to pray and ask God to speak to us. And then I would love to just quickly, we'll dissect it. But concentrate on the blessings that are here that can help us to not be defensive as believers but be defended by the gospel. You get that? I don't want us to be defensive. We don't need to be defensive, and we don't need to be having to do things in which God has already done and is doing and will do according to his wonderful and sovereign great power through the gospel. I want us to see how the gospel is our greatest defense in life. And so pray and ask God to bless our time and that he would speak through his word this morning as we look at it uh, and how it affects us in our daily living. Lord, we humbly come and ask that as we read your word, as, as we contemplate already, the things of your word that have been spoken this morning, the things that have been read according to your word, the truth that has been expounded or shared according to you, your great love, because, Lord, you are love. And, Lord, that we can see that, that the gospel is your love given to us. The gospel is our defense. The gospel is our refuge. The gospel is our greatest access to that which truly gives us life. 
I pray, Lord, that your words would impact our lives. Ask, Lord, that your spirit would guide us, encourage us, and direct our minds and our thoughts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 5. Uh, yep, it is not on. Psalm 5 is, uh, I was wondering why I wasn't really loud, but that's okay, I just talk loud. So I'm sorry if I spit on you, family, but that's okay. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. Psalm 5, remember the context. David's getting up in the morning. He's on the run. Absalom is on his heels. His son is trying to kill him because his son says, Look, I know it's right. David, my dad, did not do it's right. I can do it better. And he is loaded with all of these opinions. He's loaded with all of these things. He has slandered his dad. He has drawn the majority of the army away. All of this is going on. And David, once again, the anointed from God, is on the run. And things aren't easy. Things are miserable. David is being taunted. He's, he's being cursed. He's having things thrown at him. Physically, rocks. I, I imagine, like, if I was speaking to some of our, our police brothers and, and that were in the riots recently and, and continuing down in, in different areas of our nation, I, I can just imagine thinking about what David is going through and sharing with them and how it affected David and what David did. To encourage them share with them the gospel. I say this because one of my greatest things was when I was in Israel was to read the Psalms and share the gospel with our brothers and sisters in Israel. Listen to what David says in the midst of this torment, this conflict. He needs wisdom. He needs help. He needs encouragement. These are his words starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sounds of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord. In the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness, Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost, uh, inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear the guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsel. Because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. And let all who take refuge 
and you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your proclamation over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield, that shield of faith that we heard today. There is so many pictures of the gospel that are here. Well, let's say, what is the gospel? And as we think about the gospel, when we say the gospel all the time, what are we saying when we say the gospel? Good news. Right? The gospel is good news. It's actually good news with glad tidings or great tidings of great joy. What does that sound like? Christmas. Yeah. Why, you know why it's a reference? Because Jesus is the active aspect of the gospel. The word in the Greek for the gospel was used in the Greek, uh, the Greek and Roman era in the culture. It was technically the term for news of great victory. The messenger would come and they'd run towards town. And as they ran to the town, they raised their right hand. Why the right hand? Winner and pure and not contaminated. Left hand is loser, contaminated. That's where you wash with it, right? We won't go into those details. But think about it. When Christ died on the cross for our sin, he won us a great and precious victory, a complete victory, a holy victory, a pure victory, not a contaminated victory. Think about this. God chose an amazing word that during this time they would run in and they would throw it up and with a loud voice rejoice because we are victorious. And as that messenger gave that notice of winning the victory, he would be shouting the gospel, shouting the good news of great victory. People would take that right hand, they would run through town, and they would share the fact that we have a great victory. It was, they would, the guy would, the messenger would have a, a crown, a, a, a wreath on his head, he would have a spear, and he would be jumping up and down with shouts of great joy would feel would fill the whole city good news was offered everything was uh, races would be held events would be held to commemorate this amazing victory in fact as it touched different people's lives they would go on to share this victory with those that were around them to lift up the spirits of those that were there to say this is what we have gospel is closely linked with the thoughts of victory in battle the gospel is amazing the question is is are you thinking about the gospel are you carrying the gospel 
Are you speaking of this great victory? Are you responding in your life according to this great victory? William Tyndale, amazing. If you want to talk or listen to great victories, and he talked about this great man who was, he got saved out of the Catholic Church, much like Martin Luther, and he was trying to translate the Bible. I've seen some of the some of the original works of his in a, in a, in a Bible museum, and it is amazing. It, it is amazing that the Bibles that he was translating still exist today. Some of them not completely complete, but uh, most of it together. And he died for God's word. He died when he came face to face with the victory that was paid for on the cross. When he was reading it in scripture, he says, all people need to know this victory. So he set forth to translate the Bible so everyone could have the message. It affected his life. He said this. He said, the gospel is a Greek word that signifies good, merry, glad, joyful tidings that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. Now, think about it. This guy was always on the run. You know, the majority of his life, while he translated the Bible, he was on the run. People were trying to kill him, put him in jail, silence him, and eventually they burned him at the stake while he was still shouting praises to God and sharing the gospel as he burned. And he says the gospel makes the heart merry. Where is the gospel in your life? It's amazing because it transforms your heart. Not only does it change your position from living for this world and now living as an adopted son in God's family, but it changes, it affects the disposition of your life. You know what good news means? We say, um, oh, it's not, in your notes, but here's the thing is, is, the good news means this, the rebellious man has been reconciled to God Justice is satisfied. Sin has been atoned for. The judgment, the guilty uh, may be revoked. The condemnation of a sinner canceled. The curse of the law blotted out. The gates of hell closed. The portals of heaven opened wide. The power of sin subdued. The guilty conscience healed. The broken heart comforted. And sorrow and misery of the fall completely undone. Not all of that, but some of that was given to us by a preacher, A.D. Simpson. But here's the thing. Did you see all that the good news is? All that God accomplished through the gospel? And we're seeing the effects of that in David's life, in this psalm. We're seeing that how does the gospel become our greatest offense? We have a direct line to our defense. To the one who defends us. We have a direct access. I hope you saw that through this whole service this morning. It has been all about prayer. It's been all about talking to God. How does the gospel become our defense? Think about it. How are victories won in war? 
when you have direct communication with one another between generals, between the king. If the supply line and the communication lines can be severed, you, the, the battle is lost. The first three verses is David praying to God, going directly to God. We have a direct line to God. When you're under attack, where do you run to? Where do you hide? What do you, who do you communicate to? Are you taking refuge in the Lord through prayer? Prayer, the gospel releases prayer. The gospel mindset, the good news in our heart causes us to run to God in prayer. It becomes our first avenue of defense in the midst of our struggles. The normal response when we're under attack is to fight back immediately as the person accuses you. But David didn't do that. He took his complaint to the Lord. He was honest to the Lord. You see, he was... He says, I'm groaning. In fact, he says, the sounds of God. He, he says, whatever the groaning and the sounds were, he told it to the Lord. He was honest to the Lord. He was honest. He was personal. He, was, he says, you are my God. You are my Lord. He was persistent. He says, morning by morning. He repeats himself. I'm going to you, Lord. The thing that is amazing is he is expectant. He's not only persistent, but he's expecting something. He's, he's waiting expectantly. Spurgeon said about David in, in, this, in these verses, he said, prayer should be the key for the day and the lock of the night. It defends you. It, it's that what opens up your defense for the day to get you ready. And it's the, the lock that locks everything down at night. When David said that he's expecting, he's watching in verse 3, he says, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. It actually is a word that pictures a watchman on a tower watching for what is coming. He knows that because he has a direct access to God, he is going to watch because something will happen. Right? If I throw a firecracker in my pig pen, something will happen. Right? Yeah. It's not going to be what I want. Right? It's not going to be what they want. But when we pray, it's like we are direct access and we know that our defender will show up. That is because of the gospel. The only reason you have direct access is because of what God did for you when he died on the cross for our sins. He supplied direct access. When you are carrying the gospel and you're thinking about the gospel, it releases this. We have the only right authority who will right all wrongs. David says, God, you hate. David, you hate, or God, you hate all evil. Did you notice the strong language in, in verses 4 through 6? Did you notice what it said? And it said, well, God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. 
Did you notice what he put? He put, he, he put down the fact, he goes, you are a God who delights, who does not delight in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand. All, and he says, you hate all sin? What does he hate? All evildoers. Those who practice evil. You know what, you notice here? The fact that when we are focusing on the gospel, we realize that God hates all of the wickedness. We, can, we have a defender. We have someone who will deal rightly with all evil. It's right authority. He is a holy, righteous God. He's the only one that can hate according to to truth. Sometimes we hate. By the way, we need to understand it's the gospel that is the only thing that sets things right. When you're under attack, appeal to God as the righteous judge. Appeal to him. David refers to God's hatred of the unrepentant Wicked to encourage himself with the fact that God will bring justice for God's people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will bring justice according to his righteousness for all of his people? If you are thinking about the gospel, you're living in the gospel, and it's got a hold of your heart, you can say this with all certainty and not worry about what evildoers are doing or will do or might do. We have a hope that is greater than what people do. Does it discourage you to see all the evil being played out in the world right now? Run to the gospel. That's where, this is where it's flowing out of David. It's flowing out of what he knows to be true about God. You notice he's telling truth here about God. Not about what David wants. Nowhere you see, other than that he wants God to act according to who God is. It's hard for us to admit sometimes we really would like to act according to what we want to do. That's why I'd be a horrible police officer. Sometimes I think, oh, if I could just do this, it would make it so much easier. But that doesn't make it right. God will not only do what's right, but he will do the things at last that lift us up according to his righteousness. Number three, we have our defender's mighty fortress, not just of love, but because of his love. Look at verse 5. This is tremendous. See, did you see how God was, how he feels about all the evildoers? How God hates sin? How God hates those who choose to sin and are not a part of God's family? And look at what he says. He says, in but, in verse 7, he says, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, that word love there, by the way, is the same word where we get grace. 
It's because of God's great love. We have a fortress of grace. That's the gospel. When we're under attack, uh, relentlessly under attack, draw near to God's grace. Draw near to that love in which God has loved us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As David thought on God's absolute hatred of sin and of God's holiness, he realized that he also could never approach God on the basis of his own righteousness. So he acknowledges that the only way he can enter into God's house is through God's or by God's abundant loving kindness. God's grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy right? and find grace to help in a time of need. We have the fortress of God's love to deal with our circumstances. He is our greatest defense. In the midst of all the turmoil in Martin Luther's life, he penned, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. The gospel, when we are focusing on the gospel, it allows God to lavish it with his grace. Do you see the fourth thing there? We need our defenders right living to lead us. We need to be led. Do you know when you are focused on the gospel, it leads you. David is painfully aware of his own tendencies. That when we're under attack, what do we want to do? We want to attack back. We have rights. We want to enjoy our rights. Don't you dare tread on my right. And if you do, then I'm going to tread on you, right? You know the slogans? You can pull that gun out of my dead, cold, or I don't remember how it goes. I don't put a hook at it. <laughs> Go ahead, try to pull the gun out of my hand, right? Don't tread on your rights. God, David knew. Look at verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. When we are looking at God's righteousness, it keeps us from leaving the defensive fortress that God has given us. Have you ever seen those guys, you're watching a movie, and the guy, they're, they're being attacked, and they're in the shelter, and the guy's like, I'm going to run for it. And he runs, you're like, no, right? You're, you're being dumb. And as soon as they get out of their defensive stance, they get what? Mow down. Right? They leave the group. They leave the confines of the defensive place that they have. They have. You know what our natural tendency to do in the midst of circumstances of our life is to not stay behind the defensive shield of God's great news, the victory that God has given us. We tend to say, oh, I'm going to do this, and we get out from behind the shield of the gospel. And we get picked off moment by moment, time and time again, during the circumstances of our lives, we start getting picked off. And we get ticked off. 
Because no longer are we behind the defensive shield of being led. See, this is what it's telling us. It's literally that God is our shield. And David's saying, now, you are my shield. Now lead me. That means I'm going to stay behind you. So then that way I know where to go to stay in the confines of your righteousness. He knew that he needed to be behind God. Think about it. What better place to be in than to be behind God in the midst of a battle? Right? That's why we see verses like, you know, what can man do to me? I, I have God. We have verses that, that say, you know, you know, oh, death, where's your sting? Where is death, where's your victory? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has won the gospel. We're saying he won. We need to be led. When someone sins against you, it's very, very, very difficult to follow the commands of 1 Peter 3 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. We can't do that. Unless we stay behind and are being led by God's righteousness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Lean on your own understanding. All your ways, acknowledge who? Acknowledge him, and he will straighten out your path. You know what he's doing? Remember we talked about that? When he straightens out our path, that means he that. Literally, it's a Hebrewism. He is out ahead clearing the path so he know where to go. That's the same concept here where David says, lead me. Go out and make my path for me. Make a path straight. Lead me so I know where to go. That's the gospel. But look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Do you fear the situation that you're in? The conflict, the circumstances? Or do you fear the Lord? Because if you fear the Lord, you're going to be led by the Lord. You're going to stay behind him as he leads. When you're under attack, appeal to God as the righteous judge. Because not only will he lead you, but he will take care of the foes in front of you. We so desperately, so many times in our life, want to do it. You know, in... in I think it's Romans 13, he tells us, you know, he tells us, do, don't just do what's right in your own eyes, right? He tells us, leave it to the Lord to do. Don't re take revenge. Leave it to the Lord. Leave it to the Lord. I'll never forget when a kid that I was discipling, I was teaching him how to build computers, you know, uh, the build 386s and the 186s. I think it was 186. It was just one step above green screen. Those of you that remember the IBM green screens with Centipede and, uh, and the airplanes and then just a dot to shut out. So, <laughs> but yeah, so we were building these all night long and we were, you know, teaching him how to, to do all this and, and he finally built a computer. He built another computer. Next thing you know, he had six computers and he was doing all these things and he, made, he got a job uh, and, he passed all the Microsoft. I created this monster. He, he started uh, basically taking all of the Microsoft certifications, passed them all by the end of his sophomore year of high school. 
And he got jobs working then on the internet that I had no clue that even existed. And he started building web pages. And within that year, he was making three times the amount that I was making as a youth pastor, which is not saying much. <laughs> but he was making three times. I mean, this is a junior now in high school. So he buys himself the latest and greatest laptop. And within a few weeks, guess what? Somebody stole it. And I've been discipling him, talking about being submissive, talking about the gospel, talking about how are you living your life. And he goes like this. He goes, you know what? It's okay, Pastor. And I'm like, really? It's okay? I was shocked. He says, it's okay because I know that God is in control. And besides, if I try to get revenge or if I try to seek justice, it'll be limited. But whatever God does will be David knew he needed to be led by God. He knew that he needed to appeal to God as the right judge. We need to remember it's not about us being right. It's about that God is right. And that last one there, we are given refuge by our defender. David is saying that the believer can be joyful even under attack because the shield of God's Favor. Look at that. God's favor surrounds him. Did you see that in verse 12? That when we're, he says here that for you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him. You completely cover him with favor as with a shield. You know the word cover there means surrounds. When we have the gospel as our defense, and we're focusing on who God is because of the gospel in our life. And then it's empowering you to be led by the power of God in your life, whatever is going through in the circumstances. And you're not seeking your own righteousness, but you're seeking God's righteousness. It says literally that no matter what is going on in your life, he shields you completely. No sneak attacks. Nobody's going to come out and come you know, behind you and go, <coughs> and cough on you, right? No blindside sneak attacks with the coronavirus. There's nothing. Now, it's not saying that we're completely, you know, there no bullets can ever touch us or nothing. It just means that God's plan, his righteousness, everything that God desires is going to happen. He's not fretting. He's not worried. You remember the song, his eyes on the sparrow. Uh, I only had two tapes growing up of Christian music. One was Keith Green and the other one was Lionel Harris. <laughs> but uh, he's saying that his eyes on the sparrow, you may have heard it before. It's an amazing song. But you remember, Jesus said, why worry? Why worry? God knows all the animals. He, he knows the very bird that the bird needs, the shelter that the bird needs. He takes care of the bird, how much more will he not take care of one of his own? When you're under attack, take refuge in the Lord through prayer. Appeal to his righteousness as the right judge who will judge all mankind according to their deeds. Are we, if, we're, if we have the gospel, we're living according to God's righteousness, not our own. 
We're saved not by us being right, but God being right and doing what is demanded. And it's a gift. For by grace are we saved through faith that is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Draw near to him by his loving grace in which he has lavished upon us. Now while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Rejoice in him as your defender, your shield who encompasses you. Paul and Silas knew that joy when they sang praises to God in prison, the Philippian jail, after being wrongly accused and beaten. Hudson Taylor knew that joy on the evening after burying his second wife in China. He's saying, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I find my, I'm finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Or, it is well with my soul, the, the song that was sang by a guy who lost his family. Or I have this book written in the 1700s about a guy who prays for seven days straight after losing all of his family in a fire. Oldest book in my collection. I like books. That's where my daughter gets it. But he prays for seven days, and every day he's proclaiming God's goodness in the midst of losing his whole family to a fire in London. Do you know that joy when you're under attack? It is found in God as your refuge and righteous defender. Run to his living and amazing arms of love. Are you living by the gospel? Are you thinking about the gospel? Are you carrying the gospel? Are you prepared with the gospel to raise your hand up and say, victory? Or are you running around saying, no, because of our circumstances? Raise that hand in victory and proclaim what God has done for you in all your life. Lord, I thank you for our time this morning. And I pray that we would rejoice in the gospel, that we would shout that we have been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. That it's not a righteousness that is based on myself. There is none good, no, not one. We need you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that daily we are crying out and recognizing it is not by my righteous deeds, but it's by my loving Father's righteous right hand who gave himself, his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place on the cross, to become our go-between, to remove that wrath that we were once enemies with God because of our sin, sin that he cannot tolerate, sin that can never be with him, sin that separates us for eternity from God, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, and he appeases that wrath. He satisfies that wrath. He redeemed us. He purchases us by his own life to bring us back into God's righteousness. That God sees not the righteousness of our, our good deeds, but by his own good deeds when he died on the cross for our sin. Lord, you are good. We are not. 
May we proclaim the victory that you have bought and paid for by the precious blood of Christ. May that be our battle cry in the midst of every turmoil of our life. In Jesus' name we pray.